We are in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes. We are making progress. We have reached the second half of the book, and we have reached the part of the book where it gets a little bit more interesting and a little bit more complicated. So, if I do this right, which, you know, 50-50 shots, so we'll see what happens. This will be more complicated for me, but no different for you. I, it will just be, it'll be as confusing as it normally is on a Sunday morning, okay? That's what we're going to go for as long as, we, as long as I've done my job right. My job gets a little more complicated because we are now applying the wisdom that Solomon has been seeking in the first half. I mean, what's the real point of learning everything if you don't ever go on Jeopardy, right? That's kind of life. I mean, do you win anything if you know all the Jeopardy answers, but you're sitting on your couch? No, you got to actually be hitting the buzzer and answering the questions in the form of a question. You're answering the an- giving the answers in the form of a question. Yeah, I did that as a, um, I didn't do Jeopardy, but I did a uh, quiz bowl thing when I was in high school. And that was always the most fun part of it is you get conditioned to that and you'd go to competition and kids would start doing that and giving the answer in the form of a question when you're actually supposed to be just giving an answer. Be like, um, what is fours? It, it, stop giving it in the form of a question. We're not Alex Trebek. You didn't win any money. Stop it. That's what Solomon is seeking to do here is now that we've thought through this, based on everything that we have seen as we have looked at the world, now what? Now what? So with that warning, There are ebbs and flows in how Solomon gives you that now what. Because sometimes that now what is just, (sighs) we all need a coffee because we are depressed and this is miserable because we've looked at everything from the world's perspective. And sometimes it's like brilliant biblical insight because at the end of the day, that understanding of who God is comes shining through and you just can't help yourself. So the goal is to try to lean more on that and ignore the world, but you can't do that because you have to actually understand the world. Some of today, warning, some of today is a little bit like dealing in Proverbs, especially the first half of this, because that's basically what it is. It is Solomon giving these wisdom statements. But unlike Proverbs, where sometimes, you know, individual verses have their own little segment, this is somewhat thematic, and we're going to try to take it in those chunks, which, by the way, is marks the day. Then because of that, today is the day I keep that first one promise. Huh? Huh? You have any idea what I'm talking about? No, you keep forgetting. (laughs) So with all of that said, you'll notice it in a second. Let's dive in, shall we? First one. A good name is better than good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. This is all advice based on the understandings of the world. In other words, you work, you have wisdom, you have wealth, you have possessions, you have all of these things, and at the end of the day, what's the reality of humanity? You're going to die. It's Genesis 5, and he died. And he lived X number of years, and he died. And he had a son, and he died. The recurring refrain of life is that no one survives it. You will all die, I will die, and that's just the reality of things. Solomon's answer is, because of that, keep perspective and recognize that that is the reality of life. This is a wisdom that the Bible does not want you to lose. If you get to the wisdom of the New Testament, you get things like James 4. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, your Bible wants you to keep this wisdom because it should matter and mean something in your life. 
which by the way, always remember that real quick. I'm coming around, be warned. This is the point of biblical knowledge. Remember, this is the difference between knowledge and wisdom, as I do a weird little can-can here. Knowledge is what? You know stuff. You can know a bunch of stuff. You can be Rain Man and know everything, but if you know nothing of what to do with it, that is pretty useless. That is knowledge. The goal of Christian living is wisdom. To know all this stuff and know what to do with it. To actually know what it means and then put it into practice. That's what the goal of this is. Your Bible is tracing things from beginning to end. It's presented in historical narrative. It's presented in didactic material. That is, it's trying to teach you things. But all of those things are, sometimes you get poetry, sometimes you get prophecy, but all of those things are coming together to explain to you who God is, what he has done, what is wrong with you, and how those all those ideas come together. In light of that, you should be taking these ideas and actually putting them into practice putting flesh on them. Part of that are things like 2 Corinthians 7. The sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. We've mentioned this a bunch of times as we've gone through Ecclesiastes. What's the hope of the world? What do they got? Whole lot of zero. But... When you recognize that the Christian life is not to be focused on the things of this world, but they are tools for the building up of the people of God unto the kingdom of God. Now, Christian, what's the hope? The hope is that God has actually accomplished, that I recognize rightly who I am and what was wrong with me, and that God has actually redeemed me from the pit. The wrath of God has been turned away, that he has presented me clean in his sight, given me a place in his kingdom, and provided me with tools in this place. For some people, it's a whole lot of tools. For some people, it's not a whole lot of tools. But for everyone, it is things in this world unto the glory of God. What you have is meant to to be utilized in an offering unto him, however that may be. And this is where it gets complicated because I can't tell you how to do that. I'm not you. I don't have your stuff. I'm not in your situation. But you know who is? <laughs> you are. And that's why, again, I tell you, you have to have these conversations. You have to do the evaluations. Move from knowledge to wisdom. Think through who am I? What am I? Where am I? And how do I utilize these things to serve God? That's your starting point. Let's keep moving. Verse 4. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool, and this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. This is again building on the things we've seen before. Wisdom in the world, according to Solomon, accomplishes what? Nothing. It's futility. You can know all of the things. You can know what is good. You can know what is right. You can know how it's supposed to work. And what will you be? Miserable. I mean, Christian, you've never experienced this, right? You have never once turned on the evening news and seen something. For those of you that still watch the news, I can't do it anymore. Sorry. 
but you have seen some story about something going on and the way people are living and going, oh my goodness, there is such a better way. You've never been frustrated by your friends and your neighbors and the things you see in the world or a politician that you voted for or a politician that you didn't vote for or anything. You've never once known better and been frustrated on behalf of these things, right? <laughs> I mean, this is Christian living in the world. This is what happens. Solomon recognizes this. This is, again, why wisdom in service to the world is empty. It's futile. Oppression makes the wise man mad. A bribe corrupts the heart. This is part of what he's pointing out is you know and you know better. And yet, what do you see all around you? Now stop, Christian. Wisdom in service to the world is futility. Wisdom in service to the eternal kingdom of God has immeasurable value. This is where the change of focus is so vitally important. Understanding who you are in the world. That you are not supposed to be of this place, but you are supposed to be in this place, persevering to a kingdom that God is building. This is the application of the wisdom as it comes down. Things like 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. This is building on that foolishness and wisdom comparison that Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 1. Go read 1 Corinthians 1. It'll do you good. And he cannot understand them. That's the things of God. Because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the breakdown you see in the world even when you get to the theological realm. Have you ever had the, um, the displeasure of dealing with people who know the Bible but don't believe the Bible and try to argue from it? <laughs> see, some of you just immediately grinned and you're like, I'd like to forget that discussion. And you can't because all you can remember is the silliness. Because it's like, oh, yeah, what about this Bible verse? But that doesn't mean anything to this conversation. But over here it says this, but that doesn't mean anything to the... <sighs> because they don't know how it works. They don't understand how it's applied. They don't understand how the pieces go together. I've told you this before. I had, um, years ago, I got ambushed. I still want to strangle him on occasion when I think about this. But our um, retired director of missions for our association invited me to this Bible study that he thought was going to be this great thing. You're going to go. I don't even know what he thought it was going to be. But it ended up being run by an apostate retired pastor who his entire supposition, we were going through this, um, this article, article, little booklet that he had written, you know, about five or six pages, basically like a term paper. And his entire supposition was, we need to reimagine the way we understand the entirety of the Bible. Now put me in that room, and you know, I'm just going to sit there all quietly and not talk at all, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was in there, he was in there with his best friend, who was in the same boat he was because he was a non-practicing ethnic Jew, and then one of their other friends who was a Methodist pastor and a Presbyterian pastor who was kind of on the fence of what side he wanted to be on. The Baptist pastor of the church that this dude was going to, who was a member of my association, who was looking like this the entire time. Like deer in headlights is like, this guy goes to my church. <laughs> and, and then another pastor from the association, after about the third meeting, the other pastor goes, I can't keep coming back, but you keep coming back because you're doing a good job arguing. I'm like, don't leave me. Don't leave me here with these people. I'm a glutton for punishment, apparently, because I think I went to like a month every week. And then they ended up dissolving the Bible study because one of the guys was moving away. But I went back and argued and argued. I think it was like week four or five where I finally got the guy to admit who wrote the term paper. He's like, 
My, my argument was you don't actually believe any of the Bible, but you want to use it to justify your life and your beliefs and how you see the place. Just admit that you're the authority and you're the one who gets to judge everything. It took me a month, but he finally admitted it. I was like, yes. He's like, yes, I'm the authority. I get to decide what is true and not in the Bible. I'm like, okay, that's all I needed you to say. You think you're God. I can go home now. Thank you. <laughs> but it was refreshing. Like, I'd come home and rant for two hours. Like, I'd have to go for a walk because I'm just like, you know, Cameron was ready to strangle me. <laughs> But you do this because this is the folly of the world. As they go, oh, 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 the things of God. I know about them, but I don't know how they work. Now, Christian, we fall into this when we start drifting. When we start following after the things of the world, we go, oh, that sounds neat. That sounds interesting. And then you follow along. Mm, stop it. Come back. Understand what section of scripture am I in? What is this pointing to? Always remember your guiding principle. When you get to the end, what's the answer? Jesus. You get to the end, what's the answer? Jesus is the answer. If you got to something other than Jesus after studying that portion of scripture, what did you get? You got the wrong answer. Go back, do not collect $200, and start again. This is how you think it through. So, let's continue. Verse 8. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Again, what is Solomon coming back to? Wisdom in the world is useless. Only if it is actually exercised unto the glory of God. Because who will prolong your days, Christian? God does. This is always the promise of the, my brain just stopped, the fourth, fifth commandment. Fifth commandment, right? Fourth commandment. Read the commandments. It'll do you good. My brain can't come up with the order. Yeah, because Sabbath is fourth commandment. Yeah, fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. So, so, that you, so that it will go well with you in the land. Well, why is that the case? Ephesians 6 gives you an understanding. You're supposed to actually listen to the words that they teach you. Why? Because go back to the beginning of Deuteronomy. What are you supposed to be doing? Mom and dad. Bind them on your wrist, tie them on your forehead, talk about them when you wake up, talk about them when you lie down, talk about them when you go to the city gate, talk about them at the dinner table. You should be instructing the people that you have that influence over in what? In godliness. So as the children follow that, they are following in godliness. Israel in the land, worshiping and serving God will be preserved in the land because God is preserving his people in the land that he has promised to them. Therefore, the commandment is protection because it is a pointing back to God. It is Paul's admonition in what? Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 11. Follow after me as I follow after Christ. Be imitators of me, which means the second Paul is not imitating Christ, what should you do? Stop imitating Paul. He told the Galatians that in Galatians 1. If I or an angel from heaven preached to you another gospel, he is to be anathema. He is to be cursed. So Paul's answer was, look, you knew the gospel. I taught it to you. You heard the truth. If I showed back up and taught you something contrary to that, what should you do? Church. If I showed up one Sunday morning and started teaching contrary to everything else I've been teaching you all of these Sundays, what should you do? Throw heavy things at me and run screaming from the room, right? As a warning to others. That's why we still keep all those Bibles and hymnals in the back. You have weapons. Use your chairs. Do what you need to do. It must be done. This is the protection of Christian living. You have to be thinking and evaluating. It doesn't matter where it comes from. If it's wrong, it's wrong. This is an attitude I wish we would take into more avenues of life. This is an attitude that would be a cure for a lot of the politics that we have. 
No, I'm on this side. You're on that side. I'm right and you're an idiot. That's how this works. And what does the other side say? The exact same thing. Wait for it. There's a really good possibility that the politician you like will say and do something dumb. And you know what you should do when he does that? Say that it was dumb and wrong and that he needs to do it differently. Don't have a side. Have a standard. This is how you're supposed to live in the world wisely, Christian, is you have a foundation built upon Christ, built upon Scripture that you hold to. And as you live in this world, you encourage and disciple others to do the same. When something aligns with that standard, you go, good job! The blind squirrel found a nut. The broken clock was right twice a day. We nailed it. When it does not abide by that standard, you say what? This is sin. This is a violation of the commands that honor God, and therefore it is bad. And I don't care how much I like you, if you demand that I do something evil, the answer must be no. This is the wisdom that we live with in the world, built upon the foundation of Christ. This is what Solomon is pointing towards. So let's have fun and keep continuing. Verse 13. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? Ooh, 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 pick me, pick me. I know, I know. This is an easy one. Nobody. Nobody, right? How many times have we talked about this? This is your Job 42, Isaiah 14, John 10. No one can snatch me from the Father's hand. Nothing that God has planned can be undone. This is what I, my favorite part of the book of Job. We talked about this when we went through it. Is Job rants and raves for, for 30 chapters that I want a hearing with God and I want to bring my case before God. And the minute I get to argue with God, I'll be vindicated. And God speaks for like three chapters. Job's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> I did not, I don't know who that guy was that was talking all of that junk all of that time. I'm going to sit here and shut up and you talk to me and we're going to be good. Not, all right. <laughs> me, sorry. I always love how that works out and that's just always my favorite part. Now again, that should mean something in your world. What's your foundation? What's your standard? Verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider... God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. This is what I was picking on Judy. It's like, it's not my fault God has judged you with the stubbing of your toe. <laughs> and you know I'm kidding. I don't think God has judged you by breaking your toes, but you know who needs to do that evaluation? You do. <laughs> I didn't do it. I'm sorry. What did I do? I just realized we have a light out. <laughs> Squirrel! <laughs> sorry. I just looked up. I was wondering why I was a little odd. Ah, the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools. Now you're all going to be looking at that the rest of the day. I shouldn't have said anything, but I can't help myself. Sorry. No. This is part of the reality of life. Christian, when you go out into encounter the world, it's not like, oh, everything that went well today. You know, this is, this is my joke. I always, you know, anytime we get a good parking spot, Cameron and I go anywhere. Oh, 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 God loves us today. We got a good parking spot, you know. <laughs> Or, you know, when, you're, when you go, go to do something stupid at the house and you balance something, be like, oh, it worked, it didn't fall over, God likes me today. See, I joke like that because it's a ridiculous standard, but how often do we think that that's reality? Like, I, I drove across Rockford, got all the green lights, green lights, I must have been doing something right today, God liked me today. Drove up Alpine, don't ever drive up Alpine. It's, I made that mistake one time. I, I used to be able to go home from here when we lived on the north side of town. I could go up Mulford and take me 15 minutes to get home. If I went up Alpine, it was like half an hour. <laughs> it's like, what do they do to the lights on Alpine? Are they, are, do they have like an evil program mode that they, they're set to? Okay, that's how that works, okay. He's <laughs> miserable. I'd find myself halfway up Alpine going, why do I do this to myself? What is wrong with me? But anyway, it's not like you go up Alpine, get every red light. Not like, oh, God's mad at you. What'd you do? What did you do? 
again, I'm hearing that Puerto Rican mother of sick, what you do, Chuki, what you do. <laughs> I mean, we think like that, Christian. It's not like God's going, you know what I'm going to do? He was really bad this morning, didn't pet the dog like he was supposed to, spoke meanly to his wife, red lights the whole way. Now look, if your first thought when you get red lights the whole way is, you know, I probably wasn't real nice to my family this morning. You know what you should do when you get home? You should apologize. You know what? If that's your first thought, what have you just discovered? You just discovered the sin in your life and God has given you a good, a good reminder of what it is. Go deal with that. No, Christian, always remember that though. It is God who is actually ruling over the planet. This is my favorite one. How many times have you said this or heard somebody say this? Like the football player wins the game. What does he always say after the end of the championship season that we've won? I want to thank who? I want to thank God. And everybody goes, oh, really? Like God cares who wins the football, who wins the football game. You've thought it. You've heard someone say it, right? You ready for the worst, the mess up right here? God cares who wins the football game. (laughs) God cares who loses the football game. God cares whether or not there is the football game. Why? Because we're on the planet that he has made. We are in the universe that he is ruling and ordaining. It's not like he took a nap during that Super Bowl. Nah, there's got to be something better on. I can watch. Eh, Flipping the channels. God actually is involved with his creation and his people. He has made the one as well as the other. So when good things happen, look, rejoice. Be happy about life. I'm the joy guy. I want you to enjoy your life and be happy rightly. (laughs) <laughs> there's always bar, always the guardrails, right? Look, you know why I joke about that? Because let's be honest, you want to enjoy your trip, right? Does anybody enjoy the trip driving in the ditch? No. Even if you didn't crash the car, you're like, there's going to be a mailbox. We got to get out of here. This is not, it's not fun to be doing this number. You want to drive down the highway and actually get where you're going. Roll the windows down, enjoy the nice breeze, all that good stuff. This is what Christian wisdom gives to you, is it allows you to avoid the ditches, the pitfalls, the lies of the enemy, the potholes that he has dug so that you can actually travel the king's highway rightly. Again, read Pilgrim's Progress. It will do you very, very good. This is what Job got right at the beginning, Job 2. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Thanks, honey. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You know, we made the ending of Job 1 into the song, right? He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. (laughs) Nobody ever remembers that. Everybody just goes, blessed be the name. We like that part. We don't like the gives and takes away. But that's the reminder that Job had. He's given us both the blessings and he's taken them away. I will bless the Lord my God. This is how we live. It's not, again, like he took a nap and fell asleep. This, by the way, also, Christian, is where the world starts twisting at you. This is where the lies come in and your lies come in. I'm really bad. Everything bad has happened to me. Okay, look, maybe. Who needs to evaluate that? You do. You need to think through, figure that out. But Christian, if you are in Christ, Yes, every once in a while, you are going to drive the car into the ditch. You ready for bad analogies time? Bad analogies with Michael. God is better than AAA. (laughs) I almost got that out with a straight face. I was this close. I was right there. We can get the car out of the ditch. We can get you back on the highway. This is, again, part of the protection of Scripture, part of the protection of prayer, part of the protection of a believing gospel community. This is why you need church, because you put the thing in the ditch. Do you know how to get it out? Maybe. Maybe not. I guarantee you someone else that you know who's a Christian does, and they can help you. 
and they can guide you, and they can instruct you, and vice versa. This is the protection in the world. These are the guardrails that keep you from going careening off the bridge. I've got to stop with the driving analogies, or Judy's like, I'm going to crash my car next week, and it's going to be your fault. <laughs> See the pressure i got to live with? All these bad things happen to you guys, and look who you blame. <laughs> See what I have to do? There's just pressure, and I can't take it anymore. No. I try and I try. This is the thanks that I get. <laughs> I point that out to you because no matter what happens to you in this world, if you are in Christ, you are in Christ. You are secure before the throne. You are persevering to a good kingdom. You are going to make it. The road may be a little bumpy as you do not apply biblical wisdom, but you're still going forward. I'm the joy guy. I'm also the celebration guy. How many steps do we celebrate? All of them, even when they're little baby ones like that. We still say what? <laughs> it's like when you're learning to drive a stick shift for the first time and you go, we moved! Go team! <laughs> is the transmission supposed to make those noises? No, but we're moving! See, my wife is laughing because I had to teach her how to drive a stick shift and I was like, no, you're not allowed to drive my truck anymore because transmission shouldn't do that. <laughs> I didn't know they could make that sound when the clutch was mostly in, apparently. <laughs> I'm like, the foot's down. How did you... Never mind, don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> We move forward. This is progress. And that was my answer at the end. Look, if something happens to me and this is the only vehicle that runs, you can get me to the hospital in this vehicle. It'll be ugly. I'll have a concussion. No matter what else is wrong with people, we'll get there. <laughs> That's a victory. That's rejoicing. This is how you have to think about the Christian life sometimes and go, okay, the discipline of the Lord has come upon me. Okay, bad things have happened, but I am still in Christ. I am still persevering to his kingdom. And I am going to figure out how I glorify and honor God, even in the midst of this, because that's where he has placed me, and that is what I do. Verse 15. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. <laughs> I like how Solomon's being honest. Who is he applying the truth to? Himself. My lifetime of futility. All the wealth, all the money, all the goods, all the things, all the wisdom. Eh. <laughs> there is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? I like how Solomon contradicts himself right here. Like, don't be wicked and die, but there's a wicked man who's prolonged his life. Well, pick one, man. Okay, what are we talking about here? Middle way. Middle way. You don't want to be miserable in your righteousness. I get that. That means you have to remember always what about your righteousness. Let's ask this fun question. Is it yours? <laughs> remember, theologically speaking, what do we refer to, this, refer to this as? We have what's known as an imputed righteousness. It is an alien righteousness. Not like little green men with big eyes, but something that is outside of you. So it is imputed to you, which means it is applied by Christ to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It was given by the grace of God because of the work of Christ. Therefore, how should you treat it? You should be like, look at me. I got righteousness. I got righteousness and you don't. What would that accomplish? Other than make you look silly and make you do a dumb dance. <laughs> you can admit it. It was a dumb dance, wasn't it? Come on. <laughs> I got bad news for you. I have 17 left feet. I have no right feet. They're all my dances are dumb, just so you know. <sighs> this is why I always laugh when Christians are accused of being self-righteous. Be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What part of my telling you about my sin and how God has redeemed me in spite of me made you think that I thought I was good? 
Now, what happens? They don't ever hear that part of the message because we do a really good job of pointing out what? The brokenness without pointing out the cure. Always remember, we carry both parts of this every time we go into the public square. We point out that, yes, this is wrong because it's a violation of God's standard. But remember what? There is a Savior who has redeemed his people. And all who trust in him will be redeemed. All who call on him will be saved. And you, too, can be redeemed. And by his power, you will overcome. Not because you're going to overcome, but because he has overcome on your behalf. This is always the reminder of the message that we carry forward. Go back to things like Ecclesiastes 3. This is part of Solomon shining through. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. And that's why Solomon comes back to that place in this chapter, verse 18. It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Why? Because our perspective has been redeemed. Because our lives have been changed. This is the promise of everything that's going on. Things like 1 John 5. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you would live your life as if you understand the realities of who you are. Remember our math equation. For every look at yourself, for every look at your sin, take 10 looks at Christ. Be reminded that yes, I am broken. Yes, I am no good. But in him I am clean. In him I am perfect. In him I am redeemed. In him I am holy before the Father. In him I am persevering before the throne. Be reminded of these things each and every day. Now, in light of that, go tackle your day. Go tackle the things that are occurring around you each and every day. Be aware and be wary of the things of this world. Verse 19. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Yes. Yes, it does. Again, the wisdom of Scripture not forgetting things like Romans 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, do you think evaluating the world with a renewed mind might require just a little bit of wisdom? Just, just a teensy-weensy, tiny little bit of understanding of who you are and how that's supposed to work. Because again, go back to the beginning of the first book of the New Testament written, James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And remember, this is how the outworking goes. What's Paul's understanding in Romans 12? Live your life a sacrifice to God. Okay, Paul, How? By testing the will of God in the world by the renewing of your mind. Okay, great, Paul. I'll renew my mind. What's the next question? How? Go back and read the first 11 chapters of Romans. Those that were dead, those that were lost, he has redeemed. He is strengthened by the work of his son, by the grace of God. This is what Romans 1 through 11 is explaining to you. Because you have been changed, new heart, heart of stone removed, heart of flesh implanted, new nature, new strengthening by the Spirit of God, you are now a new creation before him. Therefore, your mind can be renewed. Therefore, your life can be changed. All built upon what? The wisdom of God and his working amongst his people. This is how you live and work in the world. This is the foundation that you build upon in all things. So wisdom strengthens, verse 20. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. 
Yes. Thank you, Solomon, for stating the blindingly obvious. We needed that. Just in, just in case you forgot for a split second about that self-righteousness thing, Solomon reminds you. How many of the good people are there out there? Now, Solomon knows scripture. Solomon knows wisdom. What does Solomon know about himself? <laughs> exactly. Now, New Testament doesn't want you to forget this either. 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Sounded a lot like verse 8. Now, those of you that are paying attention, what did we miss? There's a verse 9. See, I may not be a math expert, but there's an 8 and there's a 10. There's pretty much always going to be a 9. It's basically John in his first epistle here. It's a little gospel sandwich. You get the bad news on one end, you get the bad news on the back end, but it's right in the middle. You get the good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is part of the beauty of the message of Scripture, is that John can give you the bad news and remind you that you're no good. But if you come to Christ, you will be good, but you're still no good. (laughs) And always remember, then he goes into 1 John 2, which is usually what comes after 1 John 1. And that's when he reminds you that, by the way, Christian, don't sin. (laughs) And you're going, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just told me. Exactly. In light of who you are, Live differently, and remember that as you live, you are to be living in the knowledge that you return to Christ daily. I've given you the historical example numerous times. Always remember this. Martin Luther, to kick off the Protestant Reformation, he wasn't trying to kick off a Reformation, but, you know, he picked a fight, and a fight found him, so that's how it usually works. The first of his 95 theses was kind of the one. When God speaks of repentance, he means of the entirety of the Christian life to be of repentance. It's not like you come in and be like, all right, I repented today. I'm good. Do you, do you ever have a, a Roman Catholic friend who gave you that argument? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'll just go to confession tomorrow. I'll be fine. That's not how this is supposed to work. But And by the way, that, that's not a new thing that your friend told you. That's been the attitude of Christians a lot of times. In our church history discussion on Wednesdays, that's actually one of the things we pointed out. That idea goes all the way back into the 2nd and 3rd century. You see people like Constantine be like, yes, I need to be baptized to identify as a Christian, but baptism's important. It's a big deal, so it's got to accomplish something. And I'm not sure what it accomplishes always, because you know what we're going to do? And this became a tradition for a while, is waiting till the very, very end of your life to get baptized. Why? Because that way it'll, it'll cover as much of my iniquity as possible. Less chance of me sinning if I'm going to die like 25 seconds after I get baptized. <laughs> that was the thought process. Now you're going, that's a little ridiculous. Because again, who saves you? God, not the water. Where is your righteousness? In Christ, not the water. But humanity wants credit so badly. Humanity wants to be thought of as good so badly that we just can't help ourselves. Again, what does the enemy do? He takes the truth and does what with it? Just, just, just a little, just a little off kilter. Just, just enough to make you look at it and go, that looks, that looks mostly okay. That sounds kind of, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think this one's good. And then you say, wait a minute, because again, it's the, um, it's the tent maker analogy that Paul gives you. When he talks about handling the word rightly, rightly dividing the word of truth in Timothy. It's literally cut it straight. You know, the tent maker gets that. You ever sewn anything or cut anything? Get off by this little bit right at the beginning and then go cut another three feet. What happens at the end? Whee! <laughs> you know, I give you the example, new drivers. I got to see this the other day. 
I'm always astounded sometimes by what people teach and what they focus on. Drove by one of those, um, you know, the driving school cars with the little red and blue thingy on the top. Yeah. It was not the student driver. It's the driving, the driving school. And the, and the woman driving was not a teenager. Stop me if you can figure out what's wrong with this. As I drove by her, she's driving like this. Now, what do you know she's doing? Well, she was over the steering wheel. She wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, like, like, like those 80-year-old women where all you can see are knuckles and you wonder how they don't die. <laughs> yeah, she's looking right over the front of the car. Now, anybody who's driven more than two miles knows what don't you do. Because if you look right there, what happens to the pathway you're driving on? Yeah. You're supposed to do what? Long view. This is always the fun part about new drivers is you feel like you're trying to correct every little thing in the road and everybody else is in the car trying to find that little bag they give you on the airplane. Why? Because now stop. I'm going to ruin all of you. I'm going to ruin all of you for driving this afternoon. You ready? As you're driving on the highway, you get a nice straight road. I want you to stop and pay attention to just how much moving your hands are actually doing. Because you know what you'll discover as you're looking out just driving down the road? You don't even think about it, but it's constant. Why? Because what are you doing? You're just feeling the car move. You're looking out and you're making corrections. This is what it looks like to cut it straight. This is what it looks like to rightly divide in your Christian life. You look over the front of the hood and what happens to those corrections? Because you're making them at what level? Yeah, you can't fix that. You fix them in the, in the long view. This is how you should think about sanctification and Christian living. It's not like, oh no, I messed up today. I'm going to hell. God doesn't love me. Okay, breathe. Inhale. Chill out for just a second and recognize that yes, we're playing a long game. There are going to be peaks and there are going to be valleys. But over time, as you apply the wisdom of Scripture, as you rest in prayer and as you trust in God more and more each day, that you are going to get to a place that, yes, this is a bad place. I'm not telling you to rejoice that you're in a bad place, but recognize that by the grace and mercy of God, we will pull you out of the ditch and we will get there. And over time, you will look back at that and be like, why was I freaked out about that? He's got me. He's got me me. I'm not holding on for dear life. Lord knows how long do you think you would last if you had to hold on to God? Just out of morbid curiosity. I got him! I got him! Where'd he go? (laughs) It actually wouldn't be like that. Okay, bad story about my children. (laughs) We were at a Christmas parade. How old was Jada? One? About one, somewhere in that ballpark? Long parade route. I almost froze to death giving out gospel tracts and bags. It was like 20 degrees out and it was like a two-mile parade route and I walked the whole thing and... (laughs) You know you're in trouble when you take a shower afterwards and like five minutes into the shower, you start to shiver. (laughs) I was like, oh, this shower feels, what's going on? Uh, Okay, I was cold, but anyway. So Jada was was one and she was sitting in the back because she wanted to throw candy at people because the adults throw the candy to the people. The children throw the candy at the people. You know how that works. And so we finally stuck her in the truck because it's too cold. And as we're driving, she goes by a friend of hers house and she wants to get out and go play. So the child tries to climb out the window of the moving truck, going five, six miles an hour down. Poor man, I can still see Terry sitting there. He's dry, trying to drive his, uh, his, um, his massive uh, 2,500 truck with his trailer on the back while holding my daughter with one arm as she's hanging out the window going, let me go, let me go, let me go. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm, I mean, I'm walking along behind, talking to the camera, it's like, Michael, ah! <laughs> That would be you with God. Be like, I got him, I got him. Would you stop it? (laughs) I have things. You don't hold him. He holds you. Remember that. Take the looks at who he is, what he has accomplished. This is what I try to remind us always when we take communion, right? 
that it is what he has done, what he is doing, and what he has promised he will deliver. That's where you're supposed to rest. Um, Verse 21. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Okay, so don't listen to the servant's talk. You got it? Some of you are going, okay. (laughs) Let's try to make sense of this in a modern world because I don't think any of you have servants. If you do, don't invite me over. I won't know how to act. (laughs) Don't read the comments or listen to all the chatter of the world. And I'm serious. How many times do you do that? You click on a Facebook post that you like and all of a sudden there's like, ooh, there's 27 comments. And what do you do? And then how long down before you're aggravated? or you're annoyed, or you see some friend of yours posted some political thing, and you know that one aunt or that one cousin is going to comment. So what do you do? You open the comments and start doing what? What'd they say? I want to argue with them. Stop that. I'm serious. You know who it's not good for? You! You! You focus on what? All the little things of the world. You, you can't... You can't live like that. And again, it moves you to the wrong thing. Because what do you end up doing? You end up pointing out, look at this dumb comment. See, they say this, but they believe this. And then what becomes the discourse of so much of our lives? Pointing out the hypocrisy of other people and hoping what never happens. Hoping they never point out the hypocrisy of my opinion. Because we're so terrified about what they said or what they'll think. Christian, what should battle against sin in the world look like from a Christian perspective? Have you ever paid attention to the, whiz, to, the, to the descriptions that Scripture actually gives to them? So, what's the weapon that you get in your spiritual armor? Your sword, right? You get a sword. Well, Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, and I love that he helps you out with this, which is the Word of God. Now, do you go into battle with a sword going, don't, don't make me use this. Like, I, I, I will turn this battlefield around, all right? Don't, I, I, looking at you. How long are you going to last? No, you went into battle with a sword to do what with it? <laughs> to do the stabby, stabby, choppy, choppy thing, right? It's a cute battle. <laughs> now, Christian, why are you given the word for that? Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why when I had that argument with that crazy guy years ago, what do I want to get him to the place at? You're judging scripture. You're the standard. You have stepped outside. Why do I want to get to that point? Because now we actually can figure out where the fight is. Now you can actually have the weapons of of war wielded against you. Now I can point out how you're in violation of the commands that God has given, and you are trying to stand as the arbiter. Now, am I going to convince him? Maybe, maybe not. Am I at least going to have to make him think about what the words of scripture actually say? Because what's the lie he's told himself? That I can hear it And tell myself that it means something else. Not anymore. Not anymore. Because I'm going to come with truth. I'm not going to undermine what you say. I'm going to undermine the foundation upon which which it is built. And then I'm going to rebuild it with the proper foundation based upon Scripture. That's the application here. Understand, I I don't want to argue where you are. I don't want to change your mind. I want to ultimately change your heart. And I do that by wielding the weapons and showing not the hypocrisy 
the sin, the brokenness, the depravity, the lies, showing what is broken so that Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, can put it back together. Verse 23. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. Now, we've covered this before. Solomon said this back in Ecclesiastes 1. This is what he's doing. He's examining the world. So verse 26. And I discovered, more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets whose hands are chains. I want to avoid her. How about you? Sound like a good plan? Now, in order to avoid her, what do we need to know? If I walked in, be like, hey, avoid that woman. Who is she? What woman? I need a noun here. This is my, you ever get that? You ever, yeah, I do this in my house all the time because my children do this and my wife does this. It's so much fun. Is, do you ever get a conversation started in your head and then you finish it with another person, but they don't have the first half of the conversation because you didn't say it out loud? <laughs> Cameron will do this to me every once in a while, and she'll say this, and I'm going, huh? And that my, my response is now, I need a noun. Because like, there'll, there'll be verbs and descriptions, but there's no actual, like, I don't know where the starting point is. <laughs> so that's, well, that's our line, and that's not, I need a noun. I, this is what I need with her. Avoid that woman. There's a woman who's death and, or she is death and destruction. Okay, I would like to make sure I don't know who she, I would know who she is so I can avoid her. Um, Proverbs 5 kind of helps you out with who she is. My son. Give attention to my wisdom. Wisdom, Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and are smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of the grave. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable and she does not know it. Okay, this goes all the way back to Proverbs, mostly written by Solomon, where... Wisdom and foolishness are personified as, as women. You want, the, you want the presence of wisdom. You want to seek her out. You want to avoid sin and foolishness and death. She leads you astray. This is the personification that Solomon is doing. He's borrowing from that here. So now that we know who she is, it's sin and foolishness and lack of wisdom. What would we like to do? How now should we avoid her? Well, one who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Would that be a problem based on anything Solomon has previously said? If the sinner is going to be captured by her, and three verses ago he said, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins, then what's the problem here? Everyone is now what? Captured by her. That's not a problem at all, right? I mean, it's only like she's, you know, leading us to death and has a heart of snares and chains are her words. What could possibly go wrong with this? Again, Christian, remember the good news of Scripture, Romans 10. The Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This again, Christian, is not you going, I'm going out into the world. I am wise and I am smart and I am good and I am going to fix the problems. You're already lost. You've already started with the wrong standard. You've already started with the wrong hope and you're going to go down the wrong path. No, it is a going out into the world humble and torn down and recognizing that I am broken and I have fallen into the pits and the snares. Again, 
I mentioned earlier, you need the believing community to help you get out of that ditch. Do you know typically how the other Christians in your believing community know how to get out of that ditch? You know how they typically did that? How they know how to get the car out? Because they already crashed it in there once. <laughs> they already did that one. And they're like, oh, this is me with cars. You don't want me doing automotive repair. I know just enough to be dangerous. But you know the stuff I know how to fix? The stuff that is broken before. Because <laughs> that's how I learned how to fix it. You know, it's like, oh, I can do that one because I've had that break. But I haven't done that one. It's never broken before. I'm just not mechanically inclined. It is what it is. This is part of the blessings of Scripture. This is part of the blessings of the Christian life, Christian, is that you get to look out in the world and go, I am not good and I am not perfect, but in him I am. Because of his accomplishment, I am good. And he will get me there many times in spite of me. But by his goodness and by his works, we will persevere because he is bringing us to a place where he will actually make us into what he declares us now. I am declared good. I don't feel like it some days, but he's going to get me there. And part of that getting there is the cooperative work that we do now, the studying of scripture, the building on our foundations rightly, and the understanding of the work that he is accomplishing. Hence, we can go to verse 27. Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher. Adding one thing to another to find an explanation. So he's been thinking about it, putting it all together, and here's what we got. Which I am still seeking, but have not found. I have found one man among a, th among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. <laughs> I like to pause because some of you just went, huh? Don't lose me here. We're building on the previous warning. Remember, there's two women in Proverbs. There's wisdom, and she is good and you want her. There is folly and sin and destruction. That's the one we just talked about in the section before. You don't want her. Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights, beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. That's what Solomon's getting on about. I've been seeking. I can find the men, I can find the sinners, I can find the people who are troubling, but what haven't I found yet? I haven't found that wisdom. I haven't found it. Because again, as Solomon has examined, has he settled on that? Has Solomon yet told you how to be righteous? How to avoid the pitfalls? How to be, how did he just phrase this a verse ago? How to be pleasing to God? No, he settled on what? I've studied, I've looked, and it's all futility. Vanity, vanity, striving after the wind. I've added in the extra parts from Scripture. We have understood this and shown. This is part of the problem that Solomon is still looking at as he's hopping back and forth between a godly world and a, and a, and a, a secular world. At the end of the day, he is still part of you too. And he still hasn't found what he's looking for. <laughs> Come on, you know you're, you know you're going to get at least one bad 80s music reference, right? At least one. Now, why hasn't he? Verse 29, how this chapter ends. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. <laughs> yup. Yeah. And, and all God's people said, duh, this is the winner. They were upright. Genesis 131, right? God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Creation was made, and it was good. But what happened? What happened? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Always remember this. This is why I always tell you, slow down. 
operate with wisdom and think about things. You're standing there talking to a serpent. It's a weird day, okay? And he's like, hey, that fruit right there. Yeah, the one God said not to eat. Uh Uh-huh, it's fine. Really? Yeah, it'll make you wise. You'll be like God. So, okay, so you're telling me it'll make me wise, and God said never eat it. And my husband said don't even touch it. Yeah, 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 let's eat it. This is a good plan. Now, when you say it like that, what does this plan sound like? Does this sound like a good plan? No, this, this sounds like a terrible plan. Why did, why did we go through with it? Because we didn't think about it. We didn't slow down. We didn't operate with wisdom. We went, ooh, it's pretty, and it'll make us wise, and it probably tastes really good. We started thinking about who? Us, and how good it will taste, and how wonderful that it looks, and how it'll make me feel, and all of those things. And then we said, what? Nah, here, eat it, eat it, eat it. By the way, I'll never forget that part. Her husband who was with her. Adam and Adam the whole time just be like, okay. Because what's the temptation, dude, every single time? Every man that has been here has been had this temptation. What do we want? What does every man want in life more than anything else? Peace and quiet. <laughs> I want to sit in my chair. I want to hit the button on the remote, and I want no one to talk to me. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? This is what you, this is. Yes, it is. You're not unique. This is dudes. This is us in the world. This is what we want. Adam, this is, this is part of the brokenness from the beginning. Is Adam is standing there watching his wife have this discussion with the serpent going, I can't even be bothered. I don't care. Just don't talk to me. I'm good. <laughs> is there anything on? No. <laughs> and there wasn't even TV yet. It doesn't even have a lazy boy recliner. And he's just like, I don't care anymore. Oh, okay, you th- all right, fine, all right, I'll eat it. What, do you- what time do you want me to be there? I'll eat the fruit, I don't care. This is how this works. And by the way, whose fault was it? Adam's fault. You listen to the voice of your wife. That doesn't mean don't listen to your wife. It means what? Listen to God. You knew, she knew, she knew that you knew, and you knew that she knew that you knew that what I had said, and that's what should have happened. <laughs> and that's actually what does happen, basically, in a rhetorical sense. This is the lie that goes on constantly, and this is what Solomon is finding out. This is what he's discovering. This is, again, Christian, why what has to be undone, not the action, not the mind. What has to be undone is the person. First Corinthians 3. Let, moan, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether of Paul or Apollos or Cephas or of the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. This is how you're supposed to live in the world. You're supposed to look at the world and say, I don't belong to this place. This place now belongs to me. And the things that God has given me in this place are tools for what? For honoring Christ as an offering unto the Father, so that as I live, I will be wise, not following after the course of this world, not trying to figure things out from their perspective, but understanding who God is, what my foundations are, and what I do in spite of that. And as I do that, I am secure. I am secure. I will have bad days. I will stub my toe. I will drive the car into the ditch. Bad things will happen. But in the midst of those things, I am secure. 
It is God who holds me. It is God who's bringing me to a good end. And it is God who's accomplishing all these things. Let's pray.